0: I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Alright, alright, alright. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. It's Saturday. It it is. We don't normally record on Saturday. No, but there's a family function. But there's a lot happening tomorrow, so I thought it might make sense to, for once, get my head in the game. (laughs) No, I can do it early. Mm-hmm. As the iconic uh, actor Zach Efron said in High School Musical. <laughs> you know, I've never seen High School Musical. The only reason I know that is um, at work, someone had given me like a buzzer mm-hmm. that when you hit it, it says, get your head in the game. And it's like a High School Musical merch thing. Oh, okay. But that's my reference. I think the month, I remember the month we started
1: dating, uh... You had a birthday, and in the theaters, that weekend was Saw 5. What what you wanted to see, uh, you gave me a choice between Saw 5 and High School Musical 3. And guess what Nick chose? I chose Saw 5, uh, having only the last Saw movie I'd seen prior to that was the first one.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, I, I think a good secret movie would be High School Musical then. Oh, God sure i mean when you get to choose sure when i get to choose because you're not choosing it (laughs) you're so difficult um no i have a list of things that i want to i had said i don't want to talk about um the supreme court decision on roe v wade just because it's still very upsetting to me even though we already knew because of leaked documents it's it's just it's just depressing to me um yeah so i don't i don't personally want to say much about it except because then I just go on the rant I always go on. Mm -hmm. But you know what we could talk about? Mm -hmm. When was the first time you understood what abortion was and do you recall like what you thought about it?
1: (sighs) You know, God, like where I probably, I think that I'd heard the term, you know, many times, but actually, I'd like putting together the, what that actually meant for a woman was probably when I saw Citizen Ruth. Uh, How when, old were you? Well, I was in sixth grade, and my parents had rented it. You know, starring Sir, Laura Dern, starring Laura Dern, the directorial debut of uh, Alexander Payne, and then kind of, you know, I, I grew up, a, I guess, in a Christian household, but my parents were kind of fair weather Christians. And I, I think my... Shout out to
0: Johnny Gill, yeah, anyway. Uh,
1: I think that my... Well, it was just like Easter and Christmas, if they happen to get to bed in time. So my sister and I would uh, try to get trick them into staying up late. Anytime they threatened to go to church, we would get them to stay up late so they'd sleep in.
0: That sounds like something that you would orchestrate.
1: Oh, we would do. It. My, and my sister six years younger, and we both realized that this was not our gig. Uh, but... It was funny. What I remember, my parents being entertained at that film and not really being. Cl- I don't think that I really know what my parents stand on that, despite my knowing who they tend to vote for. But uh, yeah, it was probably about then. It was from a young age. But you know, I was also reading like Maya Angelou, and I, I was reading about uh, all these uh, texts by wi- uh, feminists that had had breast cancer. So for some, for whatever reason, I feel like I was very in fifth and sixth grade. Kind of knew a lot about. Problems faced by women.
0: I'm sure as uh, a, a kid, I, I I heard the term and I'm sure it had negative connotations. But my first memory was being 17 and a high school friend. At that point, we were both in college. So after graduation, we both went off to college. I was 17. She was 18. She became pregnant. And then... She, the long story short, she got an abortion at twenty seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember that being like a huge thing that everyone had really strong opinions on. I remember my mom being very like critical of her, rightfully so, because it's like that's a long time to decide whether or not you have this baby. Um, but back then, I recall it being like the, the, the worst thing she could do is get an abortion and having it done that late. But I don't know. And so, you know, I was influenced by what I heard as a 17-year-old. So I'm sure at that point I thought, like, oh, what she's doing is not right. But then I think. But it was right for her.
1: I think, But it was right for her.
0: But then, so that was 17. And then maybe like a year, like a year and a half later, because I was 19, I was working at a bank and I made a friend. And this friend became pregnant and needed to terminate the pregnancy and couldn't afford it. So that was one of like five times that I paid to help a friend get an abortion. But that first time I remember talking to her and that's when I realized that this is a decision that really a person who can get pregnant needs to be able to make safely Mm -hmm. and affordably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And
1: like really... And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about who she works with.
0: Uh, How she became pregnant. I, I mean, I don't... I don't want to keep talking about it because I'm just going to get upset and rant. No, but, but
1: I think, you know, for anybody that needs to hear it, we've we've been through worse uh, as people that aren't able to have our needs met and we'll we'll get there again. I, and I for
0: anyone listening, I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I think it's important for people to know that there are people out there like myself and you would agree for yourself yeah. who are outraged and certainly don't think that. I mean, this is an attack on... Women. I mean, certainly,
1: (laughs) it is, but and being politicized, and Clarence Thomas can go fuck himself. But uh, the we live in a state of California uh, where you know that the abortion will be uh, services will be made available to women. uh, But I don't know. I I I I do fantasize. God, if I wish it was easy to learn how to. perform abortions because because if i had all the money in the world that's the kind of shit i would finance that's what i would want to be involved in like it doesn't matter if it's illegal um much like the james kind of uh to me that that is
0: noble work but i agree but it's just what makes me sad is that when situations like this happen we can't rely on the state government you know like As a whole, the the concept of government—well, to protect the people. Like, why are issues like this and trans folks and gay rights and all that being politicized when really they need to focus on education, the economy, healthcare? Right. Like, these are what politicians and lawmakers should be focused on. I think not people's bodies and their expression of their body. Like,
1: I think it's a good example too of how we can't depend on the federal government to look out for us. Obviously, but how also you know how county, state uh, elections uh, are important, and and getting out there and voting and making sure you know uh, that you're aware of the issues, and you know I'm guilty of this myself. All of a sudden, sometimes it's at, oh, there's an election around the corner, and I really have no idea about any of these candidates, or right. any, so I'm I on many an occasion, as you know, have scrambled to figure out who are these people for, who are these people on this ballot, but. I think that we all
0: have to get in the habit of (laughs) at least doing that. All right. Well, moving to something less uh, aggravating, uh, well, not aggravating at all, but, um, we get a lot of nice messages individually on various platforms and like to the fish jelly, like email address and the Instagram account. So I just wanted to acknowledge them. People really have nice, sweet things to say, but in particular, um, because there are a lot of platforms and there's a lot going on, I miss things. And I just noticed this morning that (laughs) I missed a message on anchor that was sent to us exactly one year ago today Mm -hmm. from someone who watches our YouTube videos Mm -hmm. who sent a very nice message. And I don't want to say who it is because, you know, that would, that would be weird, but, um, The message was basically like they consider us friends and they enjoy our humor and our dynamic Mm -hmm. and that it sort of helped them uh... better understand their own sexuality and then come out to family. I'm trying to be vague because you never know if people want things to be said, but um, I thought that was very sweet and nice to hear and yeah i agree it touching yeah yeah and i and i kind of don't i mean i'm at a loss for words which is rare but (laughs) but but my overall thought is that that's very sweet and you know you know actually my my overall thought is doing the podcast and making youtube videos has been so nice because of all of the people who it seems like like i would be friends with Mm mm-hmm So that feels nice because in my real life, I don't have many friends. So to think that there are so many people out there who I would probably be friends with, that's nice. Mm -hmm. But then it's also weird because it's like, when would I have the occasion to ever meet people? And sometimes people send such lovely messages and it's like, oh, I wish, you know, like you wish you could actually like meet them. And that's, you know. It's just not possible right. No,
1: but you know, sometimes you do. Like I've been in, you know, a couple different places where, you know, somebody will come up and say something and you know.
0: Yeah, it's lovely when it happens. I'm not saying it can't happen because I don't want it to. I'm just saying like logistically with how time and space works, it's just not possible. Like um I think it, you know, this
1: whole experience is also I feel strengthened my resolve and in in myself uh as well and How so? uh, Articulating opinions and kind of being less afraid of what you know. It's funny that there's a lot of people that say the exact opposite to us too. But uh, which also you know fuels the flame of just you to be yourself, to be myself, to be to be authentic, to be uh,
0: say what you say what you mean. I agree. I think knowing that I'm being recorded and like there's a record of the things I say, it's forced me to be more honest and like which breeds consistency. So I think it's the fact that I became aware that I need to be consistent has made me be more honest and also careful with what I say So I'm sure people don't believe this, but I do try to think before I speak and I try to speak honestly because I don't want to seem stupid and like a liar when, you know, I've made hundreds of videos Mm -hmm. and then my opinions and things change every five videos. So it has made me, I I think, think about things more um, and, and come from a more authentic place. I mean, obviously, part of my personality is to be kind of silly. Mm -hmm. I'm not pretending that I don't know things, but, but, but I'm, I'm very comfortable in not always being right. Or, you know, I have a bad memory. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not going to pretend that I am. So it's like, you know, I'm just being myself. Sure. Uh,
1: your, your usual self-deprecating self. Uh, but I think also learning not to beat my, beat myself up so much when I do get something wrong or
0: I wasn't, Uh, usually some kind of detail that's why we have this sorry to this man well this would be a good segue i wanted to talk quickly because you know every like once a month one of our videos will get more view you know you based on the frequency of when we release youtube videos oh boy once a month there's one that gets more views and usually that's the one that people just statistically because more people watch it there are more comments but our elvis video (laughs) i've had to delete so many comments because people are mad um and it's it's, all I wanted to say is, I, I don't even know what I want to say, except that I find it funny. Well, that what are they mad? See, the, I, I think... Uh... People are mad because, well, a lot of, you know, anytime it's about race, people oh, yeah. get very upset, and it's usually people who might be the ethnicity of the person <laughs> Who's the subject? Uh-huh. Um,
1: oh yeah, don't come. Th- these all these white people that don't want us to come for Elvis. And to be clear, but, but I, don't I don't think, don't think we, we did
0: because I explicitly said I don't know enough about the artist to make any claims about his attitude towards black people. The point I was trying to make is the filmmaker also doesn't be- make any assessments. He just sort of presents this person as someone who liked black people. Do I think that Elvis, you know? maliciously stole music from black people,
1: no. But he was growing up in a context of, he came up in a context where it was also possible to do that, and even though he did open the doors because of his style, and and maybe did things that were uh, directly associated with opening doors up for certain people, you know, it's not depicted in this film, and I don't think that uh, Baz Luhrmann, it, for an artist who, one of the major components of his the the mythos about him is this 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 contentious Grime. this contentious relationship with his uh, style that's rooted in black music so why it isn't addressed head on or a, wow. a little more with a little more finesse is where I'm confused, and that opens up the possibility of uh, conversations, because the the filmmaker, like Priscilla Presley's age when she met Elvis, they don't they they're trying to avoid, they're trying to whitewash it.
0: Well, that's my issue as well. Is that I don't have a problem with Elvis. I'm not calling Elvis racist or that he stole anything. I'm questioning the filmmaker and why would you tell the story in a way that presents El- like. We have a lot of questions when you show this young white guy who grew up around, like, like poor black people, and then we see throughout his, like, younger adult life, like, seeking out black people, and then you you don't address it, when in pop culture there is this thing hanging over Elvis about how he may have whatever or may have not I mean whatever the filmmaker doesn't explain it so that, so I also agree it's, like why didn't why even include that if you're not going to if you're
1: not going to address it
0: it's address not it's not, it not like
1: how everybody knows Marilyn Monroe w- agreed to uh, attend the Formosa Cafe every, every so often if they would let
0: Etta James perform or whatever there aren't stories like that about Elvis there, well there, I don't know that there aren't I don't and, know about Elvis That's so that's why I'm saying that people's critique and being upset is like I don't know. I, I didn't call Elvis racist. I don't think that he stole from black people because I don't know. What I'm saying. all I'm saying is the filmmaker chose to show a side of this character and then not explain the the obvious questions that the audience might have. Well audience members who give a shit about that. Because if you just love Elvis and you don't think racism exists or whatever, or then you then of course you don't care. But yeah, I don't I, I don't think racist I don't know enough about Elvis to make any claims. That's why in the review I said, I wish it would have just focused on either his upbringing and his relationship with urban soul gospel music.
1: What we need to remember is white people love to celebrate white people that have appropriated black things and black culture. Like that is, you've seen it with, uh, who's that? Macklemore and Iggy Azalea and Eminem. And
0: they'll, with great fervor, you know, like... (laughs) That's not not true, that's not how deep I'm trying to go with it. I just think that what I was gonna say is that people don't listen like you just want to be mad and you, well I'll... you you hear one comment that's not a hundred percent in your um like doesn't mimic your opinion a hundred percent and well, then...
1: I also feel like we left it open is like I don't know how to what responsibility you want to hold Elvis in this period for speaking to that when he wasn't really able to eat. You know, they lassoed him as well. Uh, Wow. uh, So, yes, I I don't... I just think that it needs to be part of the conversation. Otherwise, that's whitewashing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's move on to something more frivolous. RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, (laughs) God. All-Star 7, the all-winners season. Well, uh, there's a lot of race issues involved with that shit, too. So, episode 7... Mm-hmm. Was the legendary legend looks, so all of the queens had to replicate a one of RuPaul's sort of legendary looks, and there were eight looks to choose from. We're really we're really stretching the use of the word legendary, <laughs> by the way. Who was allowed? To, who won the last episode? Or no? Who got to choose? Uh, Trinity chose. Did she? Yeah, because
1: Trinity chose Evie to get the. Gauntlet, whatever that the plunger. Oh so so Trinity got to choose all the
0: Queen's looks? Oh no, Vivi. The Vivian chose first and then they went down the line. But why did the Vivian get to choose first? Because she won the week before. That's right. That's what I was asking. Okay. Anyway, so they replicate these looks. I was not impressed with anyone. I was pretty disappointed in almost all the looks.
1: Uh I thought no, I think Trinity looked good. Uh who's the other winner?
0: Uh, Jada Essence Hall she looked good too I love Jada's out like the dress she made I hated the hair Trinity's dress was amazing it just yeah I mean she looked amazing the Vivian also looked great I didn't Mm -hmm. like her shoes but the rest of them I thought looked pretty silly but this episode more than any of the seven it was very obvious that the judges are not trying to give any negative critiques Which makes it difficult because, based on the critiques, you would think all seven are gonna win.
1: Right? And then you get all these, like all these sound bites of, was it Ross Matthews telling Evie, you're so watchable? Okay. Okay. What does that mean? Exactly.
0: You walked down the runway. (gasps) Yes, I did. (laughs) See,
1: yes, that's the problem that we get to. And isn't it because the
0: the queen said they didn't want to be criticized? However, I understand that if you're gonna produce a show with all winners, meaning people you determine to be the best, It doesn't make sense to then bring them back on and criticize them because it's like, well, then why the fuck did you choose these people? So it kind of makes sense to me that they are being very light with the criticisms. It just, as the audience, it's very difficult to... Because we're accustomed on a regular season to knowing what they really think and who's probably in the bottom and who's in the top. Now you have to
1: go to things like the pit stop where you get honest opinions about all these outrights.
0: Right, right. Yeah. But um, in the top were... Jada and Trinity, they lip-synced to a song by Jesse J called I Want Love. I didn't know that song. I didn't like it. Um, Trinity wins the lip-sync, which made sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And then who did she give the plunger e- to? Evie, I think. Evie. But after this episode, now Jada has the most stars of anyone, mm-hmm. which I love. Because the way I thought it was going to play out and the way she was kind of being treated, like, oh, you're so cute and no one's threatened by her. No one thought that she was going to be in the top. Mm -hmm. And now she, you know, more than halfway through the season is the queen with the most stars. So I like that. Moving on, we watched the premiere episode of Drag Race France. Yes. Overall, what did you think?
1: Um, It suffers. It has the same kind of problems that all these other offshoots have. It's Which are? It's not as polished. Uh, the, seam, the queens seem pretty rough around the edges. Uh, also, very monotonous and derivative because we're doing the exact same things they do in the first episodes of all the shows. So if you have like a semi-decent memory, uh, you know, like terrible photo shoots where the, all the photos kind of look in the min, first mini challenge look, you know, silly. Uh,
0: yeah, it just felt a little bit lackluster. I agree. Um, The host of Drag Race France is Nikki Dahl, who was on season 12 of US Drag Race. Nikki Dahl placed 10th. So (laughs) she didn't make it to the finale like Brooklyn Heights did, who hosts Canada. I don't think she should even be hosting Canada either. I I don't think Brooklyn should be hosting Canada either. But um, yeah, that's an interesting choice. I will say, though, you know, Nikki did a fine job. She definitely seemed more poised than she did on U.S. Drag Race as a contestant. That being said, all of these offshoots are mimicking what RuPaul does. And none of them are RuPaul. None of them are as beautiful or as charismatic or as captivating as RuPaul. So then it's just like watching someone do like a lame imitation. The only person who I think makes it their own is Fred, Fred from Holland. Yeah. He just makes it his well, own. Because that is a personality. And Fred, I have to say, I mean, I really like Fred. Like, if if RuPaul stopped hosting Drag Race and Fred wanted to do U.S. Drag Race, I would not be mad. Uh, yeah, I like
1: Fred. Especially, you know, because who was who uh, Brooklyn's little sidekick on Canada Season
0: 2? Uh, <sighs> the one who... Melcher? The, the one with the wig and the nose?
1: No, the little white gay one. Um that looks like Neil Patrick, he's, he's in that Neil Patrick Harris mold. Oh, Brad Goreski. Brad Goreski. He's uh, cute. He's sweet enough, but like going on and on about, in one episode about what a personality Brooklyn is, it's like, ah. Uh, when well, not, not on the show, you mean yeah. at the bar? Yeah, like, I guess, like, I guess we don't see that. When y'all are
0: um, at home watching uh, Dream, or what's, Dream, what's that movie Dream everyone? Dream Girls? Uh, no, what's the movie All the Gays Like? Uh, girls Will Be Girls? Mean Girls. Mean, well, yeah. Yeah.
1: With Lilo. Uh, yeah, Fred is a favorite, but Nikki Dahl did okay. She did okay. It was kind of interesting seeing Jean-Paul Gaultier,
0: though. Well, I'm probably not... I don't think that I'm going to continue watching Drag Race France, uh, or certainly not weekly, so I'm not going to go into it, but um, it was very standard, like you said, every, all the same beats. The first episode, the guest judge was Jean-Paul Gaultier, which is pretty impressive, and the challenge was... Well, they all had to do, like, their talent, which is a common first episode task on all stars. I wasn't... Whatever. And then the runway was inspired by Jean-Paul Gaultier. So, of course, most of these queens came out with cone titties. Mm -hmm. Um, But it uh, it was interesting to see him. The lip sync was to a Celine Dion song in French. I had never heard. That wasn't that great. No. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, and we watched it on Wild Presents Plus. And I don't know who translated the captioning, but it was unintelligible. Yes. Like 30% of it was just words. It wasn't like typos or um, like, uh, what's the format? I think it's, it's the, it, the, the, it wasn't formatted. It's the translation. It was literally the translation. It was just words that don't seem to make sense together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, okay. Uh, we don't have anything in the sorry to this man section. So we'll talk about films that were released we didn't cover. First is a restoration of Lost Highway. Yeah, David
1: Lynch's nineteen ninety seven film, uh, which is opening this weekend in New York and L A. Um, and so I actually uh, wrote a piece on that for Ion Cinema, uh, which I was hoping. Well, you didn't haven't read it yet, but um, I actually quite liked that, and it was actually fun to revisit. I have. I will definitely read it. I haven't seen it since then. Uh, And I have to say, it holds up quite well, I thought. Something called Biba? Uh, Biba, it's a documentary, I think, that played at TIFF uh, last year, uh, directed by Rebecca Hunt, uh, about a young woman who's half Venezuelan and Dominican, uh, I believe. And I don't know anything more about the subject of the documentary than that. Uh, I was begged to review it. I just somehow never got around to it. Um, Olga, uh, it's about a 15-year-old Ukrainian... This is the third movie. Yeah. Uh, there's another film called Olga opening this weekend about a 15 year old Ukrainian gymnast um, who's exiled in Switzerland because uh, the Euromaidan breaks out uh, in her country. While she's doing that, uh, I think I saw that uh, in Critics Week at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival, and I remember being oh, it being okay, uh, but we didn't get to that. Uh, there's another film I th- <laughs> called Press Play that's opening this weekend, directed by Greg Bjorkman. Um, and it's about a young woman who has the chance to save her life uh, because she discovers that the mixtape she made
0: for oh, her you, old
1: lover uh, can transport her back in time. That's right.
0: You, yes.
1: And I'm forgetting who's in that. Somebody I... Anyway. And lastly, something called Rise. Uh, it's on Disney+, Plus. directed by Akin Omotoso. Uh, it's a, a true story about a family that produced the first trio of brothers to become NBA champions. <laughs> All so right. I feel like you know how that's going to play. but
0: Okay, movies uh, you watch for fun. Something called The Breakout? Oh, yes. So uh,
1: Kino Lorber had sent me this on Blu-ray. Uh, 1975 Charles Bronson vehicle. Uh, kind of direct uh, based on a true story. Direct, directed by Tom Grease. Uh, Grease also starring Randy Quaid. uh and Charles Bronson's wife, Jill Ireland, and John Houston and Robert Duvall. Uh, it's about a mobster who has his son arrested and held in a Mexican prison. And uh, so Robert Duvall is the son, John Houston the father. And the wife, Jill Ireland, hires this pilot, played by Charles Bronson, to rescue him. Uh, I was really interested in watching this because it stars uh, Cherie North uh, as a woman named Myrna, who's... <laughs> Myrna. <laughs> who's about... Myrna. She's about... She's... She's married to uh, the local sheriff, but Charles Bronson is kind of like an old fuck buddy, I guess, and wants to hire her to pose as a prostitute uh, for his uh, plan to get Robert Duval of this Mexican prison. Uh, so there's a lot of shenanigans over that because the sheriff husband was really against that. But I had an old coworker who is a black woman sh- who told me, "Oh yeah, I was named after the actor Sheree North," and I'm like, "But Sheree North is white." <laughs> which I found so interesting. Uh, and I've seen her in films that have never paid attention, like uh, Charlie Beric starring Walter Matthau. I remember being a good film, but don't remember her. I only remember Walter Matthau and Lawman with Burt Lancaster. And of course, she'd been around since the 50s. Uh, she was actually kind of my, she was my favorite part because I, I find Jill Ireland kind of boring. Uh, but, and because I sent you a bunch of screenshots from that movie. There, are a lot, there were a lot of good lines.
0: Uh, next, Good Girl Jane. Uh,
1: that won the Tribeca Film Festival, uh, set in 2005, about this young girl who's led astray because she falls in love uh, with a local drug dealer. Uh, and her mother's played by Andy McDowell, in a performance that I kind of liked from Andy McDowell. But yeah, that won Tribeca, and I watched it last week.
0: Uh, next is a movie called Cursed, which is a 2005 Five. film directed by... Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Written by Kevin Williamson. Uh, a friend came over on Thursday, mm-hmm. and this was the film we decided to watch while eating uh, spicy bolognese pasta. Mm-hmm. And you bought... There's a place called Pie Hole on Hollywood and Vine. Mm-hmm.
1: And you bought... A very expensive pie that I know I could remake for a third
0: of the price. <sighs> That thing was almost $50. Yeah. And it was a Thai tea pie. Yeah. It was good. It was very good. But, but I, those prices, I mean... <laughs> well, especially
1: learning that the crust is made of crushed up cereal. If
0: anyone from Pie Hole is listening, send me um, some free pies to make me feel better about that. <laughs> no, it was good. I, I, it was good. I just thought it was way overpriced. Oh, uh, yes. Especially because uh, it's, it's no damn strawberry rhubarb. Anyway, Cursed stars a lot of really cool people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically about werewolves. Yeah. But the stars are Kristen or Christina Ricci. Yeah. Um, Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. That's right. Shannon Elizabeth. Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Milo Ventimiglia. Oh, Milo Ventimiglia. Like, he's gay in the movie. Um, <laughs> he plays a bully who's always calling someone a fag, and then it turns out he's gay, of course. Of course. But yeah, there are a lot of really cool people in it. Um, the special effects are mm. hit or miss, but I actually really enjoyed that movie. Some of them are good. Portia de Rossi. Portia de Rossi's in it. Uh, Maya. Oh, how could I forget how Maya? How could you?
1: Well, it's so distracting because they style Maya and Maya Chen and, Elizabeth. and
0: Chen Elizabeth look the same, and then they both get killed. <laughs> spoiler alert! And there, it's like there's a news story on the TV. And they both look like the, they put their pictures side by side. It's like those it looks bangs. like twins. Yeah, um, Joshua Jackson. Joshua Jackson's in it. Scott. Ba- oh, and the guy who. Oh, Scott Baio's in it playing himself. himself. And then who's the guy Nick Offerman. who dated my coworker?
1: Oh, uh, from the Lex Luthor. Is that Eric Layden? No,
0: that's not no, Eric. that's not. Uh, him. No,
1: he was also in Sorority Boys. I'm pre- I'd have to look. Okay. Uh yeah he's in it and so is Nick Offerman,
0: that's right. Um, but yeah, I would if it's streaming somewhere. Like I would definitely like. I think it's a fun like Friday night movie. <laughs>
1: you know, I had I had really good memories of it because I think I was a sophomore in college when that came out, and I had rented it from Hollywood Video, and I was very surprised at the positive gay representation, somewhat, and it scraps. You know. The shit is scraps. But it also felt uh, very nice at the time. I don't know that it's aged well. It, it's definitely a B movie.
0: Uh, there is a fourth movie on the list, which relates <laughs> oh, yes. to our secret movie. I'm just going to say it. Uh, we watched the, t- the, made for, the 1991 made-for-television crime drama film, Murder in New Hampshire, The Pamela Smart Story. <laughs> <laughs> the Pamela Wohas smart story the Pamela Wohas <laughs> the, smart story as the credits don't but
1: um, oh Michael Rosenbaum is the actor you're
0: thinking of oh sure uh, it's well it's available on Prime for a cost but it, it, it was interesting um, Chad Allen played well if for people who don't know the Pamela smart story she was like a 20 something year old like she worked at a school and she got into a sexual relationship with a 15 year old boy in uh, with the plan of getting this boy to kill her husband Mm -hmm. and he does and then she gets convicted for like accomplice to first degree murder it's an interesting um
1: Yes, that was a very interesting uh, scandal. That was a media scandal at the time, obviously. But we can
0: talk about it more when we talk about the secret movie, I suppose, because we can talk about comparisons or whatever. Uh-huh. But uh, before we get there, Projects of Interest. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Good
1: House. Oh, th- th- well, you know, the Sigourney Weaver film that you've already seen, but we forgot to what mention... What was that about? Well she plays the alcoholic. Real Estate Agent. Oh, I enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I did a lot as well. Uh, It's going to come out this September, finally, and it was picked up right before it had its North American premiere, Tribeca, uh, by Lionsgate and Roadside Attractions. Mm. I'm hoping they, you know, that's coming out in September.
0: I'm hoping there's some awards buzz for her, because she's really good in it. She is good in it, and I would watch it again, because it was kind of fun to watch her be like... Just this boozy drunk. She's not like boo... It's not campy, but... No. But I think it's just fun to see her in a lead role where she's being kind of like difficult. And yeah. <laughs> and she looks... She looks She looks great. fantastic. Yeah. And
1: they even show... She's in a flashback from like a two decades prior. Oh, because prior. her love... She
0: has a love interest played by... Uh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. That's right. Moving on. Something called Holland, Michigan. So back in 2013, this was a, bla- a big blacklist script
1: that Errol Morris was going to direct, starring Naomi Watts. And it's finally now moving forward again, uh, starring Nicole Kidman, uh, directed by Mimi Cave, whose first film was Fresh, starring Sebastian Stan. Uh, Next is something called Road Rage. Um, John McNaughton, who I maintain his best film is Wild Things, which Arrow Video just put out on a great uh, new Blu-ray restoration, uh, which I'm hoping we'll actually watch soon as well, because I kind of had a hankering to rewatch that movie. Um, He's reuniting with Michael Rooker, who he directed in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I find is a film that is hard to watch, uh, for a film called Road Rage. Lastly, El Conde. Pablo Lorraine. our I guess a favorite uh, Chilean uh, is going back to a favorite Chilean okay uh. <laughs> the Chilean new wave uh, well he's you know he did Jackie and uh, Spencer, so now he's going back to Chile uh, back to the the reign of Pinochet for this very interesting film that uh, is going to discuss the uh, n- there was a, a hypothesis that Pinochet was a two hundred and thirty five year old vampire. <laughs>
0: oh, well, you know. So that's all I know about it. It was the... good to ponder options and uh, possibilities. Sh- sure, you know. Uh, thankfully, there are no entries in the obituary section. However, I did want to share a story. Uh, my mom likes to tell stories, not mm. unlike how I like to talk. And, uh, but her style of storytelling and mine are like the exact opposite. Because I like to sort of like tell a story where there's like a gag. Like Mm -hmm. there's something at the end. And my mom likes to front load everything to get your attention. And then she just leads you along for this long ass ride. And then in the end, it's like, okay. So she calls me this morning with very serious news. I'm not going to get into the story except to say that she tells this long story that culminates with like some children dying. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that I don't know these children I don't know the mother of the children. I barely know the person who's dating this woman. And then it was all related to like, I'm going to an event tomorrow, where I thought maybe someone who knew these people would be there, and then it turns out they're not going to be there. Nobody affiliated with- No one affiliated with this story will be there, but the way she presented it was like, I need to tell you something in preparation for tomorrow in case it gets brought up. So of course I'm all ears, and then when she's finished, it's like, literally, there is no chance that this would come up in a topic of conversation. <laughs> like, are you going to be quizzed? Like, are, is there potentially going to be quizzed on it by a family member? So, or? thinking about the obituaries. Because they
1: don't know a lot about anything we're doing. Either. Okay.
0: That's, well, we, that that could be a topic, too, about...
1: Like so I okay I don't know about your tra- your strategy but you also don't know about mine uh you, did you see I had a new section called ick
0: Oh shit did I skip something <laughs> hold on uh what what did I skip you you oh so you just decided we're going to have a new section <laughs> Yeah cuz I was so bothered Well I'll allow it this one time and then I'll have to think about it. So you've added a new section called Ick. What is the purpose of this section? I read there moving forward with a Hunger Games prequel called The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which... So this is a, something, like, things that you just are dis- disgusted by. Yes, one, okay. we don't need that.
1: But I think I was bothered at the... Char- As usual with these things, uh, the character names, because uh, there's a character named Coriolanus Snow... Which, you know, is a, just just going to take from a Shakespearean play. So it's like, does that mean there's gonna, we're going to have Hamlet Everdeen and Macbeth Everdeen? <laughs> oh. Did I
0: watch? I know I watched one Hunger Games movie.
1: Yeah, because you, you... Yeah, we saw the first one together in the theater. Is Julianne Moore in that one? Julianne Moore's in the third one. So then I must Which have is seen, split into two parts.
0: So there are four Hunger Games movies? There are four Hunger Games Because they... Remember when they were splitting the last What's book? the one with the little black girl that Jennifer Lawrence is trying to help and then the little black girl dies? Is that the first one? Oh, God. I, can't, I, I know think I've that's seen, the first one. I know right? I've seen one with Little Black Girl Who Dies, and then I know I saw one with Julianne Moore. And Jenna Malone's in one of them. Or Which one is one? Lenny Kravitz in? Oh, I don't remember. I can't differentiate. He's like a stylist, like a
1: hairstylist. And then the first one is directed by Gary Ross, and I, uh, I think the second guy is the guy that did... Is is it Francis Lawrence? Um, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend that... But remember we saw Kristen... uh Oh, my God. Well, Kirsten a- Dunst? Kirsten Dunst was, I remember, smoking oh, her American... back at the Arclight. M- smoking her American spirits outside
0: of the uh, um, Hunger Games premiere. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I thought all of those the movies I saw were trash because I don't remember them. Um, I'm sure I was moderately entertained. Peter. Okay, we need to move on. So, The Secret Film is a film that, that was brought up to us a number of times. So, I finally... It's not that I was resistant to watching it. I just, with my memory... Whenever it's my turn to choose a movie, I freeze. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, let's watch Surviving Compton because I can't think of anything. But this time I finally remembered a movie someone suggested because, you know, I don't write shit down. To Die For. Which That's, you've seen before. Which I had seen before and didn't remember. Um, it's the 1995 film directed by Gus Van Sant. His fifth. His fifth film. Uh, what Has he done something I've seen?
1: You haven't seen My Own Private Idaho?
0: Or Elephant? With Keanu Reeves? Yeah is elephant the one where or is that trunk elephant what's the one with justin long where he turns into a, a walrus that's tusk oh that's tusk what's trunk. elephant trunk i think is an alejandro Yodorovsky film uh, young sherman someone commented how whenever i say whenever i try to conjure things i'm kind of close mm-hmm. in the ballpark trunk uh elephant stars who that's about
1: that one can it's about the uh columbine basically uh, was, I
0: don't it, know that. Oh. I don't um, know... La- I don't know what Last Days is. I don't know what Promised Land is. Oh, my God. Pa- I don't know what Paranoid Park is. Paranoid Park's pretty good. He remade
1: Psycho. He did remake Psycho. With, um, Vince Vaughn. Yep, and Julianne Moore, and,
0: uh, in the, uh, Janet Lee character is uh, Anne Haish. Well, he is gay and lives in Los Feliz, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from where we are. So maybe I'll bump into him. We can talk about it. I don't know. He's but, pretty pretentious. Oh, is he? Uh, I think... And I think okay. he, I think he's also lost his touch. But To Die For stars Nicole Kidman. Who won a Golden Globe for her performance. Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. and Matt Dillon. Among many others. Among many others. So this movie is, I guess, loosely based on the Pamela... Well, it's based on a book by Joyce Maynard. Oh, it's based uh, on a book?
1: Yeah, a, a fictional account of Pamela Smart. Uh, oh. But Joyce Maynard, who appears as Nicole's lawyer, I believe, in the film uh her only other book that she's had adapted is a really poor adaptation of labor day starring kate winslet and josh brolin
0: directed by jason reitman uh but yes so if we compare to die for the story with you know what the media depicted as the pamela smart or short what's her name smart the pamela smart story and what we saw in that movie um with helen hunt what's the name of that movie? New Hampshire. Murder in New Hampshire. Hampshire. Okay. Uh, They're very similar. They are, the bones are similar, yeah. So I'll just tell to die for. So Nicole Kidman plays a reporter named Suzanne Stone. Well, she's a woman named Suzanne Stone who has big ambitions. Mm -hmm. She shoots for the stars. Um, She ends up dating a guy played by Matt Dillon whose Mm -hmm. parents own an Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. And they get married. She has her eye on the prize. She wants to be famous. And she wants to be famous by being on TV. And she decides that she needs to uh, basically get rid of her husband in order to achieve her goals. So she seduces a a teenage boy played by Joaquin Phoenix. Mm -hmm. uh, And convinces him to kill her husband. Mm -hmm. And he does. She goes to trial. But... The agents who they did the wiretapping and other means of like recording her talking about the murder they um obtained those in an illegal fashion, so her trial was like thrown out so Suzanne Stone was not convicted she was free mm-hmm. so the film is uh sort of uh balanced around Suzanne doing an interview after the murder has occurred after she's not you know, she doesn't have to go to jail and she's telling her story mm-hmm. and it's clear that she's waiting for like, like she's talking to Hollywood like, types. Like a documentarian. Or, yeah, but she's telling them like, oh, like, somebody's interviewing all the Someone's players. gonna like make a movie about me and all, like, like she's very excited about all the prospects and then the final gag is the family of her dead husband who we were at one point told they may have mob affiliations they do put a hit out on her and she gets killed. By David Cronenberg, no less. By David Cronenberg, the end. So it it's pretty similar to the actual story, except that in real life, Pamela Smart was convicted of uh, being an accomplice to first degree murder. She was sentenced to prison. She's still in prison. And then the there were like five people who mm-hmm. there were assisted. more there were more boys there were more boys who helped and a lot of them got time but because they testified against her i believe all of them are out of jail now yeah she's the only one still she's in the only one still in there um and then in the in the actual pamela smart worked she was younger than what nicole kidman seems to be in the movie mm-hmm. and and nicole kidman's suzanne stone is uh, ironically more smarter than pamela smart Pamela Smart is like a media coordinator at a school Mm -hmm. and doesn't really seem to have aspirations of being like a celebrity. She just wants to be free to do what she wants to do. So the way the TV movie explains that lady's story, it seems like there was kind of an attraction to this 15-year-old boy and then she took advantage of him Mm -hmm. versus in To Die For... It's very clear that Nicole Kidman's character is manipulating mm-hmm. this boy.
1: Well, and also, you know, because you question, like, why doesn't she just get a divorce? She get alimony. But not only does she want to lose anything, you can tell that she wants to be part of this uh, media firestorm as well. Well, that's what I want. Because I... Cause I think that's what the, the Gus Van Zandt is also trying to make a statement about is... You know, like we... Because of this period, we had what? Like Amy Fisher and Pamela Smart and Lorena Bobbitt.
0: And we had O.J. And, you know... After watching this movie, I think the what hit me the hardest is this concept of celebrity, mm-hmm. which seems so relevant today. Yes. And the idea that people will do anything to be famous. Well, the end of this film feels very prescient. Yes. And and then watching the TV movie it seeing... But, but even... Uh, Suzanne Stone Nicole Kimmins character Is not an intelligent woman No She's cunning She's conniving But she's not intelligent And it's like it, It's very interesting When we think about Within the last like 10 years And how reality TV stars Have become Like bona fide celebrities And you know Like I know last week We sh- You know Talking about Jennifer Aniston Saying that people Who have no talent Are famous And She's not wrong It's just you know Coming from her It feels a little shady But yeah, it's just like this woman, Suzanne Stone, thought that she deserved to be somebody mm-hmm. even though she didn't seem to understand a lot of things mm-hmm. and had no real talent. She wasn't particularly good at public speaking, she wasn't good at delivering the news on TV because her character do- does get a job doing like cable access news as like the weather girl and she's not good at it. So it's like I think that's what hit me the hardest relating to today. Like it feels very prescient like yeah, just how everyone wants to be famous and have no discernible skills. <laughs> Can yes. I go through my notes really quickly? Sure. So, when we first meet Suzanne, it's very obvious she is shady as hell. Like, we see her meeting Matt Dillon's sister, played by... Uh, Ileana Douglas. Who I liked. Yes. I thought the casting was really good. mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah, you know right away that this lady is no good. You know what I learned from this movie? The current Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, his father, Pierre Trudeau, was the Prime Minister of Canada. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then in the movie, he... I did, I tried to look it up. Who... Why do they even bring up Trudeau? Because uh, one of his wives. Because I tried to look up his wives and I, I don't see that he had more than It was about time. surnames. Something but, like that. But that was an interesting fact that I got from this movie. Um, oh, so getting back to what I thought the message was. Um, so, the three... Joaquin Phoenix has two friends. One played by Casey Affleck mm-hmm. and the other by some lady. Allison, uh, it was her debut, Allison Folland. And it's the three of them who sort of are part of this web that Suzanne is weaving And the girl, because they're all being filmed for like a dot wall. She's making a documentary for TV, she says. And she says uh, that Suzanne would always say, what's the point of doing anything worthwhile if no one is watching? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's very much, that feels like today.
1: And how Suzanne
0: envisioned a world in which everybody would be on TV. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of really fun moments Mm -hmm. uh, when... Because initially, the it's still it's totally like documentary style. Like some of the people in Matt Dillon and Nicole Kimmins' characters' lives are talking, like family, and
1: and then there's talking heads, yeah. Yes,
0: so we see the sister, Matt Dillon's sister, saying like he didn't, she didn't like Nicole from the jump, mm-hmm. and tried to convince him. And then we get a scene where they're all like after they've gotten married, like both families are at the house, and the sister's trying to explain like. I got a gig because like, she's like a professional ice skater. Like I'm going on tour. I'm mm-hmm. really excited. They're telling me that maybe we might actually like do some stuff for TV. And then everything gets interrupted t- to say that Nicole got a gig. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting. Uh, like, like a really well done scene. Because it kind of showed how that character is obsessed with getting ahead. Well, being the center of attention. And being the center of attention. Because you think, you know, when you... Watching the TV movie about Pamela Smart, it's like, what was this lady thinking? It's so stupid. And because it's real life, you know, the the dramatization of this real life story in the TV movie, it's not as salacious as To Die For. But in To Die For, it's very clear that this woman wants attention. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's a really well done script. Um, Then there's another scene where... It's explained that when Suzanne and her husband go on their honeymoon, she orchestrates it so they're at a hotel where there's a conference of, like, news broadcasters, Mm -hmm. and she meets some guy. George Segal, And he tells her a story about how some famous female journalist, when she was getting started, went to, like, a TV station executive and handed him a letter from her old boss that basically said, like, give her your full consideration. Um, because she's someone who can suck cock until your eyes pop out. Mm-hmm. And then she got, and then she, and then George Segal, is that his name? Mm-hmm. He tells her, and do you know who that person is? And then he whispers in her ear like somebody, yeah. Somebody like big like Oprah or something. But then the gag is she wrote that letter. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to Nicole Kidman trying to pull this stunt on, this stu- on Wayne Knight, and I thought that was a really good scene. Newman, and I think Wayne, or N- New- Newman
1: of Seinfeld, I yeah. thought his character was really funny. He yeah, he's like, I
0: called her Gangbusters. Yeah, she goes to his little like cable TV station and tries to pull the same stunt, but then he basically kicks her out because mm-hmm. she's annoying. But then ultimately hires her, and then we hear him saying, um, "Oh." Because he's giving an interview after she's been, like, killed. And so he has, like, her desk with her box of stuff. And he's like, well, there's her box of files. She was always working on her ideas. Mm-hmm. She had, like, idea files. And then that little montage of her giving him mm-hmm. her ideas, I thought was really good.
1: You know what I like about that? It, it also, you know, showcases a world where you had to be conniving. You had, to, there were a lot of missteps because you had to go on what other people told you. Like, Kim? she, she's naive, right? Yeah. So that she thinks that this letter business would work, but there wasn't no other way for her to kind of look for inspiration. Can
0: we pause for one second? Okay. So, Suzanne, her character is not... Nicole Kidman playing this character does a very good job, but I think the character of Suzanne Stone is intended to not be very captivating, which, again, I think supports this idea of, like, This person who, like, who told her she's supposed to be a star? Like, she has it in her head. But really, every time we see her, like, talking on, like, her little cable show or talking in front of the students because she has to go... The person who wrote the screenplay... Buck Henry. Who we saw in the movie from last week. Uh, The man who fell to earth. He plays David Bowie's, like, lawyer. He's the patent lawyer in that movie, yeah. He... I think he did a great job. Yeah, he's the principal of the school. He's like, yeah, he works at the school and he, like, like Su- Suzanne Stone approaches him like, I want to do a documentary. Can I talk to your students? We see her interacting with these students several times. Not captivating. No. At all. He can't control the room. Really. Can't control the room. Can't get anyone's attention. Except that she's beautiful. So we do see people look at her in that way. And I just thought that's such a... Like, it's just so interesting. And I think very well done to have this... Obviously, Nicole Kidman's a beautiful woman. So, you know, when you see her on the screen, it's it gets your attention, and she's giving a great performance. But this character is written in a way that's like, yeah, what's so... She's reptilian. She's like a, she's a predator. Yeah. Cal- like, she's calculating in every moment. Okay, there's a scene where there's like a barbecue happening, and all the family's there. And isn't that the scene where Nicole's talking about being pregnant? Mm-hmm. And how, gross and how gross it is. How gross it is, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Because her mother-in-law's... Is... <laughs> like, when are you going to have a baby? I really want grandchildren. And she's like, oh my God, wouldn't that mess up my career? What if like I'm in New York or LA and then the mom, her mother-in-law's like, what? You're New York, LA? She's like, yeah. And then I have to go off to like... Wherever Iraq and do some on the spot whatever, she's like I can't do that with a big old belly so gross and then after I have the baby like this flabby belly and big old breast like ugh disgusting I was
1: like oh, my god. I like la- oh god the decor of everything too they hand her that one plastic
0: glass with some oh that's what I wanted to know they hand her a, gl- a plastic glass or cup at the barbecue what was in that cup I don't know something peachy looking you thought it looked peachy mm. I couldn't I n- know. I would really love to know what's in that cup because it, it looks
1: like diluted urine. It was making me feel uncomfortable about houses I was in in the nineties that I hope I never have to return to in the style in them. But uh, what I liked about that scene is I you also feel a bit of pity for her too. It's and what her options are or what she thinks her options are, and this this the constant resistance
0: of suburbanization, right? That's interesting because I felt pity for her, but not in the same way. I felt pity for her because this woman really, like what must it be like to go through this life with delusions of grandeur and then they're never satisfied?
1: Well, Like what would that be like? Well, also not satisfied, not satisfied so cruelly because her husband, you know, wins this trophy wife, right? And she, you know, she connived for him too. She saw him as something to win. And then you just want to lock her up in the house and make her a baby machine? Like, why isn't she allowed to take a class in L.A.? Why Why isn't well, she allowed right. to explore yeah. her
0: interests? Yeah. And
1: also, like, if you want a baby so
0: damn bad and she doesn't,
1: that's something you talk about before you get married.
0: Yeah, the juxt- the the juxtaposition of her you know, planning this murder versus like, well, she's kind of trapped because she married this man. But then she's also, she only wanted him because other people wanted him. And But
1: vice versa, that's what men do to women all the time. Oh, you're right. So he caught
0: himself a crocodile right. and then she bit right. She bit her way out of the trap. You're right. I mean, that's very interesting that, yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. Um, but I, But it was in that scene where I felt kind of, I was like, oh yeah, I would want to resist that too. But the only problem with that idea is that she went into that relationship knowing that she was going to use him to get what she needs. Right, right. So you can't feel she fully. Could,
1: no, like, I don't. No, I mean, cl- but I mean, that's the dismay. It's like you're you're a smart, beautiful woman. Like, well, I you don't could know how just, smart she is, but but smart enough to know that you could just right. divorce him and still do what you want with
0: somebody that can really pay for what you need. That's the part of the story, even in the TV movie, that didn't fully make sense to me. Is why because. Joaquin Phoenix as her little boyfriend who kills her husband, and then Chad Allen in the TV movie, they both keep asking her, why can't you just divorce him? Because you'd lose everything. And then she keeps saying, mm-hmm. I'll lose everything. And including
1: the dog, Walter.
0: And it's like, well... Yeah, but
1: she, you know... And, and then she tied in this this story about her husband beating her, which was not true. You know, she was just manipulating them. And yeah. I think, I think what you had said when I was expressing that dismay during the film is that she didn't want to be set back in any way. She didn't want
0: to lose anything. That's how I'm interpreting that character, is she is on a mission to move forward and higher. So getting divorced would set her back. But... In the TV movie, they explain that her husband had a $140,000 life insurance policy. In To Die For, they don't. But we can assume that if her husband is dead, she will gain things. Well, it's she also lose anything. It's also
1: unremarkable to be a divorcee, but it is remarkable to be the right. wife of a murdered,
0: a senselessly murdered man. I think in To Die For... She was thinking, because she's, you know, she's making a documentary about these kids and then the boy is going to kill her husband, but she has made it so that she won't be implicated. So, imagine how popular her documentary would be. Like, she basically made a documentary about the boy who killed her husband, but didn't know. So, I think she knew that this this scenario would make her very notable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's what made her scary. Okay, Joaquin Phoenix. Um... He's so, it's interesting because when we see him in prison with the buzzed head, I thought he was quite attractive, but then when we see him, like, before he's in prison with his little mullet haircut, he looks like a little rodent. He's still very cute. I thought he was handsome as both, but... He uh, is handsome, but um, I, you know, it's just, it's just amazing how, like, hair can change someone. Well, his whole reaction to why he's attracted to...
1: Uh Susanna First is he says she's clean. She looks
0: clean <laughs> cuz he's kind of grimy.
1: He is, but he also has that kind of puppy dog thing about
0: him. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be a kid, so I'm not going to say like he's so attractive, but he um he's a cute little guy and then when we see him dancing, yeah. Like the first night she's trying to seduce him, I thought he was so cute with his little moves. Yeah. Um Oh gosh, so she orchestrates his murder on the night of their one year wedding anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then at the funeral, this lady brings a boombox and starts playing all by myself. And everyone in the funeral, like audience, because they're out in like the cemetery, are looking at her like, "What is wrong with her?" Okay, Casey Affleck plays, um, like I mentioned, the other boy who was part of the little crew, and he did a really good job of seeming like disgusting. Yes.
1: Um, And also just always on the verge of being out of control.
0: He was my least favorite part of the movie, but when the cops go to arrest him, he's out in, like, the water fishing with his dad. Mm -hmm. And it made no sense to me that the cops, they walk out into the water to arrest him. I don't know why they couldn't just tell him, like, like, come uh, here. You need to come in. Yeah, why can't you just come here? Um a really good scene is when Suzanne is like when she she goes to court. It's it's very it's a very short moment when we find out that she's not going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. It's basically she's leaving the courthouse mm-hmm. and all the reporters are asking and the lawyers explaining that um you know she's not going to jail. People like people are booing and like but everything she's hearing is applause. Yes. So it's like clearly she just wants to be notable. She doesn't care. She's notorious.
1: And I like the little speech she gives on in the infamous. steps about how she's still happy to live in a country that stands for, she's like, all the things. Yeah,
0: she she's not smart.
1: She's not... Well, she's not smart because, like, are you really trying to make this TV documentary where you're talking to these grimy teenagers who clearly aren't going to behave? You need to make an a avant-garde documentary is what you're trying to make.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I would recommend it. It feels timely. Well,
1: it's funny. that So, you know, if you think back to 1995, uh, Nicole Kidman is defined at this point as being the wife of Tom Cruise. And there's even a passage in the novel about how uh, Suzanne Stone wanted to be played in the movies by that woman who married Tom Cruise. Oh. Um, and the, ironically, well... You, know, you mean Pamela Smart said that? No, in the book, To Die For. Oh, the, oh really? Joyce Maynard wrote the character saying that. Um you know, strangely, this role was offered to Meg Ryan first, which I find would have been not as good. Uh, anyhow, you know, nobody was really taking Nicole Kidman as seriously as a dramatic actress, I think, and this was her big breakthrough. As I said, she won the Golden Globe, and you know, from here, you know, six years later, she'd win an Oscar and finally be without Tom Cruise and kind of become uh, the, the iconic performer that she is. But it was really because of this film, this is Gus Van Sant hiring her for this. Um, but looking back, you know, prescient in so many ways, but also its influence on other films of its ilk. Um, cause I wrote down in my notes, um, she's really giving me, I feel like Reese Witherspoon in election and legally blonde and come to find Reese Witherspoon cites her research for election was, uh, this performance by Kidman as well as Charlize Theron in young adult. Uh, I was also thought many times of Evan Rachel Wood in the film, pretty persuasion, um, but also, again, everything that was a media sensation then—that that made celebrities out of these criminals, uh, like O.J. Simpson and Nicole Brown Simpson—of course, I, I thought of them a couple times throughout this too. Yeah.
0: Well, that's all I have for it "To Die For." Is there anything else you wanted to say uh, about yeah, this movie? It just—it—it it also kind of—I feel mournful for that
1: '90s period of Gus Van Sant when he was really good you know he'd worked with matt Dillon before in drugstore cowboy uh, in the late 80s he would work with joaquin phoenix again and don't worry he won't get far on foot in 2018 but uh yeah I don't, I don't know i wish oh the other film that i think that kind of rips off the template of to die for is i tanya which you have seen yeah would you agree with that rips off uh... oh this 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 confessional uh talking heads thing I mean, it's interesting that... With it, kind of a camp flavor, really, in the background?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they do feel similar, but they also involve, like, popular sort of... Media figures, from the same, media figures from the same period. Yeah, that involve
1: a crime, and there's, like, you know... And a sense of kind of just the absurd and
0: ridiculousness. And there are a whole bunch of people... I think I Tell you is a better movie. Than To Die For? To Die For? Um,
1: I well, think, I think they're on
0: par. I enjoyed both a lot. I do
1: too. I mean, the Alison Janney performance is a lot of fun in Itania, but I think Nicole Kidman in this is better than Margot Robbie in Itania. Yeah, because I always thought Margot Robbie was a little bit too beautiful to play Tanya Harding. But,
0: but well, and I, you know, I haven't watched Itania in but years. You, but I think what I recall from that movie is there was a little bit more. I don't, you know, I can't speak on it. I don't, I don't remember fully. I just recall really enjoying that as well.
1: I do too, but I think I think *To Die For* is, smarter and that it's more subtle Um, and there's a whole bunch of people we didn't even mention like Dan Hedaya as the father of Matt Dillon or uh, Kidman's parents played by Holland Taylor and Kurtwood Smith and Michael Rispoli is the one of the investigators and yeah I don't know it's just it was fun to revisit. All right, so I don't know what's going on next week. Uh, We have some Wednesday releases that we have to get to, including uh, Andrew dosen Beauty, uh, written by Lena Waithe, and uh, the Rebecca Hall starring Resurrection. Who's Rebecca Hall? Oh, my God, really? (laughs) I feel like every time I brought this woman up, you say that. Uh, Anyway, uh, she was also she directed my number two film of last year called Passing for one, but uh, she's been in a ton of films. Uh, but Resurrection uh, also starring Tim Roth. I'm excited to for you to see because I, I do really like it. And then uh, I think this press screening of the new Thor movie is this week too. Okay. Do you have a quote for us? No, I'm making. I as you know, I've been making my way through Camille Paglia's Vamps and Tramps, and how many times have I? Too many at the wrong time. But she's a she's an opinionated person. She is, oh my, like, I don't agree with some of the things she, she says, and uh, there are quite a few very refreshing statements, but if I have to, re- I'm only halfway through, but if I have to read one more, because I'm a libertarian, or all of the white suburban middle class girls that I learned to hate as a teacher, <laughs> there, there are so many good passages that, you know, I feel like she couldn't get
0: published today, but... Yeah, the things you read me, uh, they're 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 a little too spicy. They're very, its a provocateur, but uh, like she definitely has a POV and an agenda, and uh, and you know I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming people back then might say she had like a chip on her shoulder for sure. Yeah. So you know, in that regard, it feels like you're not very. Uh, like I wish you were just a little more objective.
1: Yes, she's such a contrarian, but and it frames everything so specifically from her experiences that it's like girl you're doing the most and you don't need to right now uh, but I think you also had to be that kind of strident then to break through. I also
0: hearing white people talk about like despairing, disparagingly about other white people always makes me think like oh so you think you're like the exception or mm-hmm. I, it, it's just very interesting. Well
1: and as a lesbian kind of really knocking down lesbians a lot. Yeah you know? she's but, very yeah. But I mean I feel that way in how I think I experience a lot of Products, gay creative products as well. Is there this kind
0: of hypercritical sense of? I think whenever we're critical of groups we identify with, sometimes what's missing is like empathy. Yeah, I agree. And and that is hard to hear. Like she's so critical because well, I don't want to get into it, but be up. But you read me something about like rape culture. And oh how yeah. White yeah. women need to be more sturdy and mm-hmm. how basically like ethnic people <laughs> oh. have realized. And I just thought like that you are. You're talking real loose, lady.
1: <laughs> yes. I and, don't agree with all of that. And also you're throwing away, you know, sometimes people aren't ready to hear those kind of things either. But the, the one, one quote that I had, middle class white women have to get over their superiority
0: complex and learn to talk trash with the rest of the human race. <laughs> she also has that sort of attitude of like a lot of sort of privileged white people and privilege as in like they think they're educated. Or because they have a formal education and they have lived a certain life or had certain experiences, and then they associate like um, sturdy, resilient people with like ethnic people, and, mm-hmm. and I don't like that. She like,
1: <laughs> she speaks in a way that makes me think she hasn't experienced the streets. I get not that I'm not saying I have, but it, you know maybe I feel a little more. Uh, I see a lot of myself in something she says, but also uh, I feel like I have at least more empathy in realizing that you can't just say that. If you haven't experienced some of these things, you can't
0: tell a person who has how to feel. I don't... (laughs) Sure, it's okay to have opinions. It's just she has such strong opinions, and it's like, where have you been and what have you done? Like, you know, you can be an intellectual indeed, but like, oh my god, I mean, it it just seems like she's pulling all this shit out of her ass. Like what? Like I need to see her resume. Right, right, right. This lady, but I, I
1: feel like she probably thinks that if you're reading this, which is her third publication, you
0: already know her resume. But she, oh no, right. I don't expect her in her book to explain who she is. I'm saying, as someone who only knows her peripherally, like. Being in the 90s and like having seen her on TV, I I don't know much about her. She's fascinating.
1: I think she's very intelligent. And she sounds like she'd be a lot of fun to have a a rousing argument with. But uh, I have the sense she doesn't like to be wrong. Continually, continually references her 1990 publication, Sexual Persona. Also, if you you had a drinking game reading through these essays in this uh, publication, Libertarian and Sexual Persona, you just... You die. You you die. I, I wouldn't be able to make it to tomorrow.
0: Anything else? No. Bye.